When the world appears to be fucked up, and there seems to be no way out of this mess, there is one place where opinions are based on facts and evidence instead of hyperbole and bullshit. Welcome to the People Suck Podcast with Cameron Walls. Hello everyone and welcome to the People Suck Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about prison. I know it's going to be strange not to talk about American politics, but we'll give it a go. So, around the world, there are about 11 million people currently incarcerated. That's almost enough to populate a small country. But when you look at the rankings of different countries, the US ranks second. Only second to China, who unfortunately we don't have any actual information about. There's only a rough estimate. But the US currently has around 2 million prisoners. Or to round that down, about 724 prisoners per 100,000 people, or one out of every 100 adults, are currently sat in prison. And now that's split in between local jails, state prisons, and federal prison. And because of this rampant population, conditions have become cramped, uncomfortable, and quite frankly, there just isn't enough room for all of the people who are currently in prison and all of those awaiting uh, a prison sentence. So I just want to take a look at, okay, so if we have this many people incarcerated, you know, what what does that look like and and how did they all get there? So the first thing we should talk about is, does it work? Does prison as an institution work? And the answer is simply no, it doesn't. Uh, specifically in the United States, but around the world, on average, prisons do not work. There are a couple countries, uh, mostly the Scandinavian countries, uh, Sweden, Norway, which have had great success with their rehabilitation methods. But they're really the only countries I could put up on that list. There aren't really anyone else. So just to give you an idea of how flawed the prison system is, a study done in 2015 in the United States found that the rate of recidivism for state prisoners was 83% over a nine-year period. Now, the rate of recidivism is the, the rate at which people return to prison. So if you commit a crime, you're sent to prison... What, what percentage of the people who are then released are going to end up coming back to prison for another crime? And that, that in the U.S. over a nine-year period is about 83% of people. For federal crimes, you have about 39.8% of nonviolent offenders return to prison and 64% of violent criminals return over an eight-year period. So if we look at that as a number out of those two million people currently in prison, within a decade, 1.15 million of them will end up in prison again. 
which is insane. That's just ludicrous. You know, when, when you have a failure rate of a, a return rate of totaling about 55%, 57%, you, you know that's not a success. So if prison doesn't work, why are there so many people there? Well, in the US, there's something we call the three strikes law. Obviously, it's based on the baseball rule, three strikes and you're out. And this was implemented in 1994. Now, the three strikes law means that if you commit three crimes, of which one has to be at least, one has to be a violent felony, you get a mandatory minimum of a life sentence. So, if you commit a violent crime, and then you get two speeding tickets, which are, are large enough that you have to go to court to settle them, you'll be sentenced to life in prison. And that's there, there's no exception to that rule. If you commit a violent crime, you're walking on eggshells, realistically, for the rest of of your life until they can prove that it you're not a habitual offender but then the, the court gets to decide what a habitual f offender is if you commit a violent crime and violent is not necessarily specified at the age of if you commit one at the age of 18 and then at 25 you get a speeding ticket, and then at 27 you get another one, they could think that you're a habitual criminal and sentence you to life in prison. And that's really what... Well, this, along with mandatory minimum sentences, is what saw a boom in the population, in the prison population. I mean, from the three strikes law alone... They did a study a decade later, in 2004, and found that almost 25% of the people in prison in the United States were there as the result of the three strikes law. Which means 25% of the people were serving mandatory, minimum, uh, mandatory life sentences. That's fucking insane. And that was 2004. We're 16 years on from that. Almost 17 years on. You know, because it's getting towards the end of the year. So I hate to think what that number looks like now. And as I said, the second reason for this ballooning of prison populations are mandatory minimum sentences. Uh, back in the 1980s and the early 90s, they the U.S. government set out a federal guideline for the mandatory minimum sentences for a, a certain crime. So that if you commit, 
you know, crime, if you commit a murder, you have to serve X amount of time in prison. The problem was, most of these mandatory minimums came, were in, put into place for drug offenses. Because in the 1980s, there was a whole bunch of anti-drug hysteria. So in order to clamp down on drug use and the sale of drugs, trafficking, etc., they set up mandatory minimum sentences to, to, to prevent that. And because of that, there's a number of people who were serving not necessarily life sentences, but a decade, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years in prison for drug possession or trafficking. And I don't know if this was part of the point, but the definition of trafficking or the possession with intent to distribute in the U.S. is quite lax. I mean, if a court thinks that you have more drugs in your possession than personal use, then they could hit you with trafficking or with intent to distribute, so trying to sell it. And, and there's no guidelines exactly on what that means, what that amount actually equals. So, there's a story of a man, uh, the judge came out against this after the fact, but it doesn't really fucking matter. There's a man who was sentenced to 55 years in prison without parole as a non-violent first-time offender for selling small amounts of marijuana to a police informant while he had a gun, an unlicensed firearm, in his possession. 55 years for selling marijuana to a police informant. With no chance of parole. So either he will die in prison or he'll have to wait till he's released, which will be at the age of 79. He was 24 when he went to prison and he'll be 79 when he's released. He'll have spent half a century in prison. He had two sons when he was sentenced who were five and seven years old. They'll be in their late 50s before they get to see their dad again because the U.S. believes that mandatory minimums are a good idea, that they're a deterrent which they aren't. There's absolutely no evidence to support the idea that mandatory minimums deter criminals. And some of them just make no fucking sense. For example, the mandatory minimum for an aircraft hijacking is 24 years in prison. The mandatory minimum for being a terrorist is 20 years in prison. 
Hell, the mandatory minimum for being a child rapist is 11 years in prison. And if you're quick at math, this guy could have been an aircraft hijacking, child raping terrorist and gotten the same sentence as selling a small amount of marijuana, a drug which is now legal for at least medicinal use in almost half the fucking country. How is this sane? How is this logical? And they've done this all for the idea of deterrence. And the ridiculous notion that not just people in America, but people all around the world, and I'm sure a number of people listening to this podcast, all share. Which is, if you commit a crime, you have to be punished. But what, who gets to decide what punishment is? For me personally, for selling a small amount of drugs, I don't think someone should spend the entirety of their li- their adult life in prison. You know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I just see that as absolute madness. And, and it's not just in the US, it's in a number of countries as well, where we have this attitude that, you know, if you commit a crime, you have to pay your debt to society of staying in prison, being locked in a box. And I agree, there are a number of horrible people in the world who should spend their, or the rest of their lives in prison. Those are terrorists. Those are airplane hijackers. Those are child rapists. All of which you would get out at the very least 20 years before someone caught dealing drugs. But then you have to ask yourself, okay, what happens to these people after they're released? Should they survive their time in prison? They're not killed? which is a growing statistic. You know, should they should they be released from prison, what happens to them? You know, everyone thinks that, oh, they can just go back to their lives. No, they fucking can't. The minute they get sentenced to prison, their life is over. Because in a number of countries... For a number of different reasons. There are so many things they can't do. Once they're released from prison. They can't get jobs. They can't get bank uh, bank loans. They, can't, they might not be able to get a driver's license. They can't buy a house or rent a house. They can't live in certain neighborhoods or certain areas. They can't vote. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. So if you've paid your debt to society, you've survived your sentence, you use that time to better yourself, whether that's through getting an education, which a number of prisoners do, or helping other people, you can't do the same thing when you get out. 
I mean, there are prisoners who get university degree university degrees whenever they are whenever they're in prison, but they can't get a job that that degree would allow them to. Hell, the most common thing to get for a prisoner is a GED, which is your high school diploma. And they they can't use it. They'll end up working at a fast food restaurant or in a supermarket. Or if they're lucky, they'll work somewhere else. But for a lot of people in a lot of these places, the minute they find out that you're, you know, you're a former uh, prisoner or you have a criminal record, they'll fire you because it scares the customers or the customers will complain themselves. So I think as a society, as a as a species, we have to decide, do we want to focus on, you know, sending them to prison and then them come out like nothing's happened? Or do we want to punish them and make their entire life living hell? I mean, personally, I'm all for rehabilitation. You know, the idea that you can go, you can use your time in prison to better yourself through education, through vocational training, through charity work, whatever it is, so that when you come out of prison, you're able to be then a functioning member of society. So in, in my mind, there were, there were really two major options. Either we keep the sentences as they are, but we get rid of the stigma and the shame that we put in place for these people. We have a society where once you've committed, once you've um, done your time in prison, then everyone just forgets about it. You can go back to your life as normal. Or we say, no, we don't quite forget, but we'll allow you to, to rehabilitate yourself. But the problem is that you know, although we might think about it right now, you might think about it while you're listening to this podcast, but, you know, this this isn't something that occupies much mo- most of people's time. Most people don't care. Because it all goes back to that standard mindset of they're prisoners. While, you know, they they committed the crime, it's their fault. But that's not always the case. I mean, I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast the rate of recidivism in prisons, the rate at which people return. And one of the reasons for that is that people who might have been criminals who want to benefit better, better their lives and benefit from the experience and then come out as a better person, they can't get a job. Or they can't afford where they have to live. So they have to revert back to crime. Because there's nothing else that they can do. You know, and I'm not saying that all prisoners, that all criminals deserve sympathy. There are a number of people who don't. But 
the fact that there's even a percentage of them that we have to feel sorry for is insane. And the most insane group of people that we have to feel sorry for are those who are wrongfully convicted. Now, that's not a huge issue in the rest of the world anymore, but in the U.S., it's a rampant issue. There are charities, entire organizations dedicated to getting people off of wrongful convictions, mostly people of color, who were convicted back before DNA evidence was a major part of the criminal justice system and have spent decades in prison for crimes they didn't commit. A lot of these are in the south of the U.S. where, you know, the idea that, you know, a crime had to be committed, of course, it was done by the black guy. So let's sentence him to prison. And and this idea that, you know, oh, they must be right because, you know, he's black, that's what they are, they're criminals. I mean, I'll even make a joke about the stereotypes. Probably far too much then I probably should. But these stereotypes are based on something. So if you have all of these people who get sent to prison for their for decades with no chance of living afterwards and who we've turned into pop culture and movies, and books, and, you know, TV shows. I mean, what are they supposed to do? How are they supposed to, you know, become functioning members of society again? I mean, hell, one of the most common jokes about prison, or about prison culture, that everyone makes is, don't drop the soap. You know, watch out when you're in the shower. And that's us making fun of one of the most horrific parts of prison culture because we've become so desensitized to it that it doesn't bother us anymore. And I'll admit, I've done the same thing. I'm not innocent in this respect. But if we're going to have a serious conversation about what to do about the criminal justice system and about prison sentences, then we need to stop thinking that you can make pop culture references or jokes about some of the most horrific things that happen to these people. And it can't just be a side thought. You can't listen to something or, or watch something on TV and then turn around and think, oh, yep, yeah, I'm done. I've done my part. I'm aware of this problem now. Because awareness doesn't do jack shit. I mean, yes, it's the first step in the right direction. But unfortunately, after that first step, there are a thousand more that need to be taken in order to get to the fucking destination. People should not have their lives ruined for a mistake. People should not suffer once they've paid their debt to society.
And the fact that millions of people can't see this as a problem is exactly why nothing is going to change, no matter how hard people try. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, the world is fucked, and there's nothing we can do to change it. Goodbye. If you liked this episode of the People Suck Podcast, why not follow us on Instagram at the People Suck Podcasts or on Twitter at Cameron J. Walls to keep up to date with all the latest news and upcoming episodes. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you share it because the more people that listen, the more perspectives we can discuss, the better our understanding of an issue can become. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.